All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 19th day of November 2019. I do like to remind you that I'm the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. So you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Or you can go. Uh, you can call our office here in New York during regular working hours in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. like to also uh, put a plug in for Chen Lin, his uh, letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, Chen focuses also on the mining companies, as I do, but he also uh, covers the biotechs as well as the energy companies. Has done very well for his subscribers over the years. Uh, go to ChenPicks.com for that. And Michael Oliver, who will be with us in just a moment, uh, is OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to sign up for his excellent letter. And I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And uh, thank you also for sending along your comments, whatever they may be, positive, negative, or neutral thoughts you have about the show. Send them along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com, questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. We also want to thank our sponsors, of course, because without them, we would not have a show. They make it economically viable. Our sponsors for this week, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Great Bear Resources, Gatling Exploration, and TriStar Gold Resources. And we will be hearing from Novo uh, Resources. Quentin Henning will be with us during the second uh, segment of today's show. I've titled today's show, Has Novo Resources Made the Gold Discovery of the Century? Robert Moriarty will be with me uh, in the second half of today's show. Dr. Quentin Henning, as I just noted, and Michael Oliver just momentarily will be with me. The excitement has died down from the summer of 2017 when Dr. Quentin Henning of Novo Resources revealed to gold exploration investors that the nuggets being found near Karatha in Western Australia is part of what may well be one of the greatest gold discoveries ever. In fact, Western Australia hosts a massive conglomerate gold discovery that has some similarities to the great Whitwaters Rand gold discovery in South Africa made in the, late 18, in the late 1800s. Dr. Henning's revelation as to how the great Whitwaters Rand was, was laid down, how it was deposited, led him to Western Australia, where his work has revealed that conglomerate hosted gold over many hundreds of square kilometers, which has led to the title again of today's show, Has Novel Resources Made the Gold Discovery of the Century? Of course, the fact that large gold-hosting conglomerates beds exist is one thing. Mining the gold from those beds profitably is quite another matter. 
the big run-up in Novo's share price in the summer of 2017 from under 70 cents in U.S. money to $7 has since fallen back into the $150 to $2, $2.12 I saw today into that range as the get-rich-quick crowd has sold those shares quite some time ago and have run to other stories that doesn't test their patience as Novo has over the last uh, couple of years. But that may prove to be a big mistake because, as you will hear from Quentin Henning right after our first commercial break, Novo Resources is working with some some real breakthrough materials technology companies to mine these very unusual but massive conglomerate-hosted beds in Western Australia. The scale of these gold fields is unbelievably large, which is why, once again, I raise the question, has Novo Resources made the gold discovery of the century? Of course, that idea will seem like a stretch to most gold share investors, rightfully so. There should be skepticism when any kind of uh, out, seemingly outlandish statement like that is made. But another sponsor to this show, too, we have, and we're very grateful for the Great Bear Resources, is also on to a huge and most exciting discovery on their prospect, uh, on their project at Red Lake uh, in the Red Lake District of Ontario. But as Quinton will explain today, the ability of sorting technologies being applied by two innovative companies seems to be paving the way to make this very unusual gold deposit to be a profitable mining endeavor without the use of water or chemicals. It is quite a story, so I hope that you will stay, uh, stay around to listen to what Dr. Henning has to say in the second uh, segment of today's show. Um, and then... Later in the show, as I mentioned, Robert Moriarty, uh, the second half of the show, he is a proprietor of 321 Gold. He'll be with me. He knows the Novo story as well as anyone. He has been on Novo's properties in Western Australia several times and is in constant touch with Dr. Henning. Robert will share his views on Novo's projects uh, during the second half, and he may have some other comments, um, colorful comments, always colorful coming from Robert Moriarty. He'll be with me. Uh, in the second half of today's show. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is back with us this week again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Yes, it's really good to have you back. And um, when I ask you this morning uh, what topic you think is most apropos for today, you suggested the dollar. You said the dollar index is prime now. Talk to us about that. Why are you really focused so much on the dollar? Well, you know, the horror stories when some mass shooter goes out and kills people and, and they interview the neighbors of the person and they say, well, he mm-hmm. was a quiet one, you know? Yeah. Well, the dollar right now is probably the most quiet market out there in terms of well, lack of volatility or, or trend integrity and so forth. It's sideways, really. and But it's a huge asset category. And the inverse of that, of course, is the yen and the euro and so forth. They're very quiet. So while other things are moving around... Uh, gold has moved a lot without any dollar weakness over the last year or so. Um, the dollar has just gone totally to sleep, and everybody's numb with it, you know, about it. They're comfortable that it's in an uptrend, which is exceptionally gradual, by the way. Uh, we think it's going to come to life. The structures below it that we see on our momentum work, uh, if, if triggered, and, and we're toying with those levels uh, in the dollar index right now. Uh, if you close a month out below certain key numbers, uh, we think it could unleash on the downside you know, rapidly and in a surprising way because the lack of volatility could, you know, <laughs> reverse totally. Can you get not only downside, but you get quick downside. Um, and this will have an impact on other asset categories, obviously, because you have investors that poured into the U.S. market, stock market, U.S. government, bond market, and so forth, but especially the stock market. 
because it's been performing so well. Well, they do it, they have to buy it in dollars. Mm-hmm. So if the dollar suddenly becomes a negative variable for them, uh, it undercuts their you know, the solidity of their position in the U.S. stock market. But it also, of course, would put wind at the back of gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has not been wind at the back of gold over the last year or so, but it could easily become that way. Uh, I also think it will spark the commodity upturn, which we think is also uh, bubbling right below the surface. Um, but the dollar right now is the one that's the closest and uh, to intimidating its, its structural levels that if it breaks, it's, it's going to go down hard. Uh, and specifically, the dollar is in the 97 area right now. And our numbers are in the low 97s. If you close a month there, and we'll get real specific, but not far below the market. Uh, we think it could drop easily, you know, 20% or so rapidly within a year. Wow. Now, that, that's, a, that's a nuclear event mm-hmm. that happened. Uh, yeah. And so you have this tending asset shift in the foreign exchange markets that could suddenly become a big player and totally wipe out all kinds of market assessment assumptions that prevail out there right now. Uh, when you upset one assumption, you might upset another, et cetera. You, you just break the whole mold. So we'd watch the dollar. I think it has uh, the most potency in terms of surprise effect. Certainly that would have an, an immediate impact, you would think, on commodities. So how's the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which I know you watch very carefully? Well, when how's that we began looking? the quarter, we focused on those two sectors, the, the, the dollar and the inverse side of that, and the Bloomberg Commodity Index, because they've been the most dormant categories for the last two, three years in terms of volatility mm-hmm. uh, and, and trend movement. Commodities going sideways, dollar largely going sideways, um, while other things were moving around. Well, the, the Bloomberg is bubbling just below the surface. In fact, early in the quarter when we put out our numbers that were applicable for any monthly close this quarter, uh, we put out a number below the dollar index, and that, at that time it was trading 99.60, 99.60 dollar index. Mm-hmm. It rapidly dropped down toward our numbers, again, which we need monthly closes below. At the same time, the Bloomberg Commodity Index was uh, several percent below our numbers, and it rallied up to our numbers. So what we're waiting on now are some monthly closing levels that will break those two categories out, one down and the other to the upside. Uh, and, but they've at least moved to our numbers, uh, whereas early in the quarter they weren't near them. All of a sudden mm-hmm. they went to our numbers. So mm-hmm. we're watching very closely, and I don't think many other people are because, frankly, those yeah. are dormant categories. Right. Yeah, but certainly, I mean, just as since all of these commodities around the world are measured in dollars, a, a yep. declining dollar then would would mean that the prices have to go up. I would think, and uh, uh, all I other things. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so, Michael, uh, which leads me to the next question. Then, if we start to see some commodity pressure on the upside, then that might uh, not bode well for the for the for the, for debt for debt instruments. I would think, unless, of course, we have a a massive deflation. Uh, uh, let's say a, a global uh, econ- economic downturn, which would have deflationary pressures. But any thoughts on that? And, and how, yeah, on how the is the T bonds? There's two different categories we'd look at in the bond market. The government bonds, of course, are flight to safety instrument. And yeah. anytime you get a stock market drop, that's not not just a drop, but sharp. You have a flight into T bonds. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, we've had a flight into T bonds over the last year without a stock market drop. But if you ever had a sharp drop in the stock market, and we're watching for numbers there, uh, no doubt the bond market, the government bond market, uh, especially U.S. government debt, would rally. Therefore, yields would drop back down again. 
Uh, but we regard that as probably a temporary phenomenon. In other words, don't get married to the idea that bonds are going to go down and yield uh, in a sustainable way. Uh, more likely at some point after a flight to safety that might be a temporary event, we think the T-bonds will head down in price, up in yield, and thereby joining a downtrend in the stock market. But for right now, you have to treat the bond market. If it, we do, Don't urge getting short the government bond market, even though it's shown some weakness recently. Because of that potential of a sharp spike up in bond prices if the stock market caves at any point, which, again, we suspect. Um, now, other bonds, uh, high-yield corporate bonds, uh, junk bonds, so-called, it's right. a different issue. Uh, they, sure. they tend to move, already been moving well with the stock market. Now, over the last two to three weeks, it's been very interesting, though. The junk bond ETFs uh, in the U.S., uh, HYG and JNK, mm-hmm. have been under pressure and are frankly sitting at the precipice of some technical levels uh, and they have been in alignment with the S&P over the last year or two. And if mm-hmm. the S&P goes up, they go up. S&P goes down, they go down. Well, lately, while the S&P has gone up, they've gone down. Ah, And that's okay. interesting. It, do they know something? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you would think they'd be sniffing out some uh, some insolvency issues, potentially. Yeah, so, yes, exactly. It uh, could be the canary in the coal mine, uh, so to speak, mm-hmm. that might be reminding us that things are not as good as Donald Trump would have us believe. Uh, in the economy. So anyway, all right, Michael, uh, very good. Thank you so much for your help on this. It's really, uh, I think you put, pull things into perspective, the interreaction of the various markets, and then your technicals, of course, tell you what what you believe is happening, what looks like it is happening based on those objective uh, metrics that you use. Thank you so much for being with us, and we look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks again to keep us uh, up to date with the big picture. Thank you so much. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Quentin Henning will talk about the evolving mechanical sorting technologies being established to recover gold from Novo Resources' massive conglomerate-hosted gold beds in Australia and how they may be leading to an extremely bright future for Novo Resources and also uh, lower the cost of mining, not just for Novo, but potentially for mining in general or at least a, a lot of different projects that could use these breakthrough technologies. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Quentin Henning. Novo Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Gatling Exploration is aggressively expanding its 100% owned Larder Gold Project with three high-grade gold deposits located along the prolific Kirkland Larder Break in Ontario, Canada. 35,000 meters of drilling is underway and to date has now connected two of the three gold deposits and is aiming at connecting the third to create a 4.5 kilometer trend. Gatling trades under GTR on the TSX Venture and GATGF on the OTCQX. Visit www.gatlingexploration.com to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Clinton Henning. We're going to talk to him about Noble Resources. Noble Resources trades in Canada uh, and in the U.S., and uh, you can purchase it down here as I have on, in the States. 178.7 million shares, trading at around $2.68 Canadian money, giving it a market cap of around $480 million in Canadian funds, or around 360 or so in U.S. money. Thanks for joining me again, Quentin. Certainly, Jay. Always a pleasure. Always fun to talk to you because you have new and exciting ideas. Uh, it's not just the usual, the way we've always done things for the last hundred years in mining, but new cutting edge things that you're exploring and developing and using to try to find novel ways to make money, projects that would otherwise be overlooked. So that's really what I'd like to have you explain to our listeners. Your November 12th press release that revealed, revealed what uh, looks potentially like some very good news concerning mechanical sorting of gold nuggets, not only not only the larger nuggets, which you've talked about some time ago, I know, with something called the Steinart technology, but also very fine gold nuggets as well. Talk to us about your latest press release and explain to our listeners why this is potentially so important, even if the market isn't paying a lot of attention to it. Certainly, yes. This is uh, it's it's important for us, but it's also uh, good to have an impact on on gold mining in general. I think the work that we're doing, uh, but also these these companies, these companies like Steinertz and Tomra, who make these sorting machines, they've now clued into the fact that you know there's potential to sort directly sort particulate gold in gold ores mm-hmm. uh, the work in you know the the interest in this topic really uh, centered around the the sorting techniques or trials that we did um, say a year ago uh, mm-hmm. we started you know we did some work with with Tamra sorting some material from from Paratha. Um it worked quite well it you know, we sort, we crush the rock down. These are conglomerates that have gold nuggets, and we crush the rock down, screened it, and then we put the the material through a, a sorter that used a, a technology called X-ray transmission. It's basically X-rays that, that pass up through the conveyor belts as the rock material is passing over, mm-hmm. and the the detector, the sensor that looks down onto this conveyor belt, can see the rock that has gold particles, and so when they reach the end. You know, the, the machine has little air jets that literally flick the rock off these, they mm. blow the rock off the end of the conveyor into a separate bin. Mm-hmm. And thus they produce a concentrate. You know, you, you, <laughs> it picks the gold bearing rocks out. It's remarkable stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, where we were a year ago, um, we were able to pick, you know, rocks that the, the rocks themselves were anywhere from about five millimeters up to five or six centimeters in mm-hmm. diameter. And the gold particles within them were on the order of uh, a few millimeters up to even a couple of centimeters across. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, fairly coarse stuff, fairly uh-huh. coarse gold, fairly coarse rock particles. Now, as you know, when you crush rock down, um, you produce a lot of fines. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Karatha, you know, one of the challenges that we had was, well, how would we sort the fine material? You know, if you crush this this 
conglomerate down and you know some of your goals are going to end up in this this fine finely crushed material how can you sort it well at the time we didn't have an answer but fast forward you know both Tamra and Steiner started thinking about this over the past six or 12 months and they've come to us uh, multiple times now with with new ideas new uh, you know uh, technology that they've developed in-house some of it is you know offshoot of uh, existing uh, technology that they're working on you know, so sorting is often focused on industrial waste you know for example picking copper wire out of uh, you know other other types of waste. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they have to pick very, very fine particles of copper out of a stream of waste. Well, they, in the case of Steiner, they came to us uh, a couple of months ago and they said, you know, w- we think we can pick gold down to uh, sub-millimeter, even, wow. even, you know, perhaps sub-half millimeter in wow. size. So we're talking, you know, literally pinhead size gold. Uh, so we we did some tests. We did some tests back in August, and then fast forward, we've done some over the past two months. We've uh, done some test work here in Perth with directly with Edge and a uh, gold. That, you know, this is gold that we're recovering out in the field. And you know, the, the if people haven't seen it, the video that we put together uh, that goes along with the news release on November twelfth is quite revealing. Uh, you know, we, what we did basically was put uh, a series of nuggets on a piece of sticky tape mm-hmm. and then attach it to the conveyor belt. And then as the conveyor belt's going around and around, uh, there's a live feed to the, of the sensor. And you can see that the nuggets are detected every single time. And, and some of these nuggets are very, very small, 0.4 mm-hmm. millimeters. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's crazy small, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the, in the case of Steiner, they use induction sensors to pick up the gold particles. Uh, it's a little bit different. They also use X-ray, X-ray transmission like uh, Tomra, mm-hmm. but they they um, kind of have two different sensors that work in, in concert to pick these things up. Well, uh, what does that mean? So it means that if if the machine can see the particle, it can segregate it from the rest of the material. So uh-huh. once it reaches the end of the conveyor, uh, you know, the concept would be it does what's called a panel blow. It basically blows that, that the, the material off the conveyor belt in that little segment and effectively captures the nugget along with, you know, some waste material. But mm-hmm. the important thing is it, it concentrates the nuggets. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, this, this technique is absolutely remarkable. Um, I, I hadn't seen it. They, the guys here in Australia have been doing test work for you know, two or three months, and I hadn't seen it firsthand until I got down here mm-hmm. uh, about two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. When I saw it firsthand, I said, we, "We've got to, you know, talk about this. This is just absolutely incredible." Uh, and it's really got us thinking more and more now about how we can apply it not only to uh, to Edgina, where we, you know, the, the gold we tested, but to other projects, you know, including Karatha. It goes back to the the finely crushed material at Karatha. Well. All of a sudden, we now have a technique that looks like it could work on the fines at Karatha, and then even Beaton's Creek. Uh-huh. Okay, so we go back to Beaton's Creek, <coughs> and we think, well, uh, let's look at the what we know about the gold particle size. Uh, if you, you and you know other uh, listeners will recall, you know, a few years ago we did some gravity gold recovery tests on Beaton's Creek, and at a um, 
600 micron or 0.6 millimeter crush size, Mm -hmm. we actually recover around 75 to 80% of the gold in a GRG plant. Well, Mm -hmm. that's coarser than these machines can pick now. Uh So that means that if if we can do that with, uh, you know, wet processing, uh, it also means we can easily do that with sorting. So we're looking at applying this technology to all of our prop- properties, um, it, and quite frankly, it could have a, a, an impact on the gold mining industry. That's so, amazing. Um, exciting stuff. Um, it's it's quite interesting that you know these companies are competing now, um, mm-hmm. both in the you know the research side of things, mm-hmm. but also uh, competing to to get uh, business that that we might generate for them. Mm-hmm. So we're we're already starting to look at how to put a. Uh, machine out in the field, field testes, you know, at Edgina and perhaps even at Carrasa and, and Beaton's Creek. So, um, very exciting. You know, we've made what I think is a quantum leap here, and mm-hmm. uh, I can't underestimate how how excited we are. Well, absolutely. And uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about why this has such an economic impact. It, it potentially has. I know that uh, I think you're, you're basically operating in a desert in a very dry area anyway, where there may not be an abundance of water. You talked about dry sorting or dry mining yes. and also yeah. and also chemical-free mining, which I would think would make the environmentalists happier. Um, yes. So, so, talk to us a little bit about the economics, and also, I think, I think in your early test, how much of the mass is discarded then, because you're taking out the gold nuggets, you're separating the gold nuggets, putting them into a separate bin, and creating a concentrate, which means you don't have to move a lot of heavy rock around, right? So, it should be energy, it should be energy, um, good in reducing energy as well. It it is like there's a lot of, of pluses, you know, the chemical free aspect. Is huge. Uh, the fact that we we would use little to no water is absolutely huge because you know, as you said, we're in a very arid environment. It's just a challenge to to you know find a, enough water for operating a wet plant, say. So those are immediate you know clear benefits. But let's talk about cost for a bit. So um, we've talked to you know, in particular, the folks at Steiner about operating costs for these machines. Uh, the the sensors or the um, the machines can uh, have a two meter wide belt, okay, uh-huh. and they operate the the belt moves at approximately ten kilometers per hour. You know, it's fairly fairly f- fast pace. Uh-huh. Um, if you put material on there, say uh, at a height of two particles nominal across that surface, in other words, a double layer. Yeah. Uh, but you use a, a slightly thinner belt. Uh, you know, these guys are estimating that we could probably process uh, on the order of 50 tons of fine material mm-hmm. at a cost of about $26 a ton. Uh, 50, sorry, 50 tons per hour at a cost of about 26 cents, sorry, yep. per ton. Uh-huh. Okay, so wow. uh, 26 cents. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. That's uh, just jaw-droppingly cheap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most of that cost goes into running the conveyor belt itself, but mm-hmm. also the, the compressed air to blow the material off the end of the belt. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we're, we're talking about costs of processing that are an order of magnitude or more uh, less than conventional processing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what's truly remarkable. Okay, uh, we're we're on the verge of 
of find, figuring out something that uh, I think, like I said, could impact the gold mining industry as a whole. Now, um, what, uh, you know, you know, people say, well, gee, uh, you know, 50 tons an hour, that doesn't sound like a lot. Well, now let's talk about the cost of the machines, okay? Mm-hmm. The machines uh, are on the order of 800 to 800,000 to a million dollars Australian per sorter. Yeah, huh? We're talking very low capital. Okay, uh-huh. so you know you're not going to start a mine where you're doing you know piddly little fifty tons an hour. You're going to probably have a series of these things, and you might even operate them in in parallel or in series. You mm-hmm. know, in different configurations mm-hmm. to uh, to enhance your your you know processing ability and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of possibilities here. Mm-hmm. All right, so the not only is the operating cost low, but the capital cost is exceptionally low too. And this is the kind of thing that that could be installed fairly quickly. Um, I think, in, you know, in terms of permitting, there's huge benefits because you're not using a lot of water. You won't have conventional tailings, stuff like that. And um, you know, it, it's just a whole new game. Do you see then possibly mining and then leaving the the waste rock behind on a, as you mine this material? I mean, if you, you know, if, it, if you're able to separate well, the good stuff from the from the waste rock right there on site, can you just return it right back into the mine? You can. Look in in concept, certainly in Edgeley, you can uh, reclaim immediately after mining. In other words, have it on a continual basis. Uh, but then there's other potential here too. One of the things we're now considering is, you know, at, at places like Beaton's Creek and and Caratha, where mm-hmm. we have hard rock conglomerate. Mm-hmm. We would crush it, sort the particles out with gold, but you then have the chance to use uh, your waste as uh, you know byproduct for aggregate things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of, uh, of potential benefit here. Yeah. yeah. So I know going back uh, earlier, you'd put out this press release uh, in October. I guess it was October 9th, in which you showed. I think you took uh, 222.2 uh, cubic meters of material. Uh, and from that, you you gather 337.2 grams of gold uh, per cubic meter. So per cubic meter, over one and a half grams per gold, I, I believe. Um, that's correct. And that's a you you pointed out that that's really a very a very high grade for this kind of mining. But you've also uh, there was a lot of empty blanks there. I presume you'll be able to fill in those empty blanks as you go forward and do more bulk sampling. And I I, I guess you can't really you don't have the numbers yet and what you can really say about that, but do you have a sense that this could really enhance the project by picking up this fine gold that you weren't that, that you weren't necessarily counting on and didn't, didn't know how to recover before? You know, a few months ago, I, I would have said the ability to sort particles this fine would have been just crazy. But now, I think there's potential. Okay, um, the the blanks that you're referring to are the blanks in the tables uh, that we released in in recent press releases discussing grades of the bulk samples at Edgina. Mm-hmm. All right, the the grades that are actually uh, or the the gold recovered are in those tables is actually gold that's above one millimeter in size. Okay, uh-huh. so the coarse gold, you know, it's easy for us to process. We metal detect, we get that gold, we we then put it through our little test plant there at Station Peak and recover the other. Uh, coarse gold, 
but it's the finer grain gold that we have to assay. And those samples are in right now. They're, they're, there's a large batch that are nearly done, and I hope to have that data out within a few days. Hmm. Um, but it's it's very interesting because the fine grain gold, you know, fine is a relative term. Okay, mm-hmm. in this case, fine grain gold is still fairly coarse. It's less than a millimeter in size, but the fine grain gold we're talking about at Edgina, and quite frankly, and our other gold projects, is on the order of, uh, you know, point point x millimeter, so mm-hmm. point one to one millimeter in size. Mm-hmm. It's still coarse in gold terms, mm-hmm. right? And it's quite conceivably sortable now. Now that we have these machines and we've done this test work, I'm feeling more and more confident uh, that we can we can potentially sort very fine gold <laughs> particles out of out of these conglomeratic ores. All right, uh, Quentin. Uh, before we conclude our discussion today, I'd like you to remind our listeners just how uh, how how large this Edgina deposit is. I mean, you don't you haven't assayed a whole lot of it, but uh, the, you know the assays, the bulk assays that come back have been very very encouraging, even without the fines. But can you give our listeners just a sense of, of the scale of Edgina and, and, and your project? You bet. Okay, so Edgina, what, what we're dealing with is a large flat plain that really sits between the, the ocean, the, the northern coast of uh, Australia, all the way up to the, the hills where the Fortescue, you know, our old Archean Fortescue conglomerates and whatnot outcrop. All right, this surface uh, has gold scattered across it. We know this because there's various prospects around the area, uh, usually along the edge of what we call the terrace, this flat area. And these uh, places where this uh, gravel comes to surface is, you know, they're, they're, they're quite profound. There's nuggets that have been found by historic prospecting for eons now. Uh, but what we're seeing is we're starting to come to grips with the the distribution of these things, the size of this target. It is absolutely immense. You know, it covers tens and tens of square kilometers, or even, in fact, hundreds of square kilometers. Um, it can take you a, a half an hour to drive from one prospect to the next. Uh, but we, we reckon that a lot of this terrace could be perspective for this type of gold. Uh, and we're, you know, it's even though we've only nibbled at a little tiny part of the system, we feel that the system in general is is a very, it's highly perspective of, you know, it could be a game changer. Like mm-hmm. it, it's something that just, it's almost bewildering to think of how large it is. All right. So in summing up then, uh, we should be looking for these assays from the fines. I guess that's something you You've just Correct. said is likely to come out. That might be the next bit of news we should look for. And then finishing out this year and into 2020, what, what should people be aware of? Yeah, we've got a couple of large bulk samples going through our plant right now. Uh, we've dug, I think, two 1,000-ton bulk samples at Edgina. Those are going through the plant. I hope to have news on that, say, mid-December, mid, right before Christmas, somewhere around there. Um, we'll have additional news about uh, some prospecting activity that we've been doing in the field. We've had a long, long, good, productive season of prospecting, and I think those results will be the subject of a couple of news releases over the next month or so. So lots of news just between now and the end of the year but going into next year we we will continue working at edgina we're not going to take a break you know weather permitting we're not going to take a break we're going to plow forward and and make this project go 
Well, you have a, just the most exciting project, and one I think, as you say, could be actually could be a game changer not only for yourselves but maybe for a lot of other mining projects around the world. And uh, it's you know sometimes it takes a long time, especially when you're doing something that's different, to learn how to develop and how to mine and you know how to use the technology that's available. And as I see, these companies that are producing this technology must be getting excited too about the prospects because of the vastness, I think, in part of your project. Quentin, thank you so much for being with us again, and we'll. Look forward to keeping up with this most fascinating noble resource story. Anytime, Jay. All righty, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because coming right back is uh, Bob Moriarty will be with us of 321 Gold. And Bob knows this project, knows the noble story very well. He's been on the project several times, I believe, down in Western Australia. So we'll hear uh, what Bob has to say about, about noble resources. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Bob Moriarty. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete their very active 90,000-meter drill program through next year. Considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years, GBR aims to release a maiden resource in early 2020. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have uh, Robert Moriarty with me. He's a proprietor of 321 Gold. Before I say hello to Robert, though, I'd like to just pass along this information that Michael Oliver sent me. I wasn't aware that he had actually done a, a chart on Noble Resources, um, and he is uh, suggesting, his work is suggesting that if we get around $2.26 in U.S. money, uh, by the end of any uh, uh, closing weeks over the next few weeks, uh, that it should be uh, a green light uh, and an upward and onward with uh, for Novo Resources. So that's coming from Michael Oliver, who is my most trusted technical analyst. Uh, that's the reason he's on this show almost every week. But now someone who is uh, equally trusted in my eyes, uh, Robert Moriarty. Thanks for joining me today. Robert? Yeah, it's a real pleasure, Jay. It's a real pleasure to have you, because uh, uh, especially following Quentin Henning, because I know that you know him very well. He's he's a very good friend of yours, and, and he thinks very highly of you. Uh, you have made a visit um, how many times uh, to the uh, to the great western area, the Pilbara area where Novo is mining? How many times have you been down there, Robert? I I just came back from my seventh trip. Wow. <laughs> Seventh trip. How long does it take you to get there from uh, from from your home in France right now? Uh, uh, about fourteen days. How long does it take you? What's, what? How long does it take you to travel there? Uh, about fourteen days. 
No, the the time it takes the air flight. How long does it okay. take you? Maybe it maybe it just seems like fourteen days. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it, it, it's it's the longest flight. Uh, it it's pretty bad. It's yeah. brutal. Yeah. It's brutal, and uh, one of the reasons that I've never gone down there. I'm not. Uh, I'm not as strong as you are, I guess, and I'm more of a city slicker, I suppose. But, you but, wuss. What's that? I said you're a wuss. <laughs> yeah, it would seem so. <laughs> well, anyway, let, let's get on to this because you've been down there so often. You, you've. Uh, I mean, this is a massive thing. But can you give our listeners just a sense of how large uh, these conglomerate beds are, Robert? Uh, let me compare it to the Pilbara iron ore, and both the iron ore and the gold precipitated out of solution in the presence of oxygen between 2.8 and 3.2 billion years ago. In the Pilbara, there is a 400-year supply of iron uh, we've tracked gold across the basin for over 300 kilometers, and it's scary. And it's I, I I'm very hesitant to put a number on it, but it it looks like there's gold all over there, and it looks like all of the conglomerates uh, are mineralized. And the issue has never been whether they were mineralized or not. Mm-hmm. The issue was how do you recover it. In, in a very hot, dry area with very little water. And that's where Novo has cracked the code. Yeah, it seems they have. And this uh, press release they just put out a couple of days ago, which Quentin talked, uh, and he talked about this on the right before this uh, previous segment, before you came on here, about the Steinhardt and Tamara, uh, Tomra, I guess is how you pronounce it, technologies. Talk to us a little bit about this technology these, tech, these emerging technologies that are really being geared for this project to a great extent, although to a certain extent I understand the technologies have been developed for, oh, for recovering metals from other waste, uh, waste environments and so forth. But talk to us a little bit about them and, and what do you think it will do in terms of cost reduction in this environment, as you point out, this is really a desert, a desert environment, a, wet, a hot, dry desert environment. So... Explain to our listeners how this is going to really, or it looks like it will really help make this project, uh, this massive project, potentially very economic. Well, uh, you've got three different projects. You've got Beaton's Creek, and that's a very conventional project. And the interesting issue at Beaton's Creek is it really looks like Millennium uh, is about to go belly up. Uh, I argued two years ago that Millennium had poor management. They were doing a rotten job. They needed to do some kind of a deal with Novo, and they wouldn't do it. Now, Quentin and I have an agreement, and the agreement at Beaton's Creek is that he won't go build a $100 million mill, and I won't bust his kneecaps. Now, the other two projects, and this is where it gets really interesting, is is Purdy's and Comet Well, which is the Hard Rock project near Karartha, and then Edgina. And and both of them are conglomerate beds 
the Hard Rock Project is under a cover of basalt, and it is hard, and it's very hard. It's very nuggety gold, which means it's impossible to measure. And then the Edgina, which is very conventional gravel that's near surface, and that's what, what I saw on this trip with uh, the Hedgeless Horseman and with uh, Keith Barron. Uh, we went to see a machine, Steinhardt machine, in Perth, and they were able to detect pinhead size gold. And what you do is you run your material over a conveyor belt, it passes over some sensors, and then a little blast of air blows the gold into the gold container. It's very important from a security point of view because no human hands ever touch the gold. But from a practical matter, they have increased the ability of these machines to sense and detect gold about tenfold in the last year. And the real key for Edgina is you can use these in a dry environment. Now, if there were uh, water supplies available like there is in California or in in Alaska, uh, the entire Pilbara would have been mined 100 years ago. They knew the gold was there, but they couldn't recover the gold because it cost too much to do and there was no water. If you could recover the very nuggety gold using a dry technique, uh, you can get your costs down. It, it will be, Edgina will be the lowest cost gold production in the world, and they'll be in production hopefully in May or June of next year. The Steiner and the Tomara machines are nothing short of remarkable. May or June of next year, I mean, I could see some sort of trial production, but not really commercial production. I wouldn't think it would be that soon. It, it, here's what's crazy. When I was there, one of the things that really shocked me, and I mean truly shocked me, the distribution of gold, the size of the gold, and the grade of the gold appears to be very consistent from Edgina to Comet uh, Well and Purdy's. And, and that's absolutely bizarre because they're totally different kinds of environment. Uh, Edgina could be 50 million years old. And, and Comet Well could be 2.5 billion years old, huh. yet the grade of the gold, the size of the gold, the quality of the gold, um, the quantity of the gold all appears to be the same. Now, Quentin and I were hoping for something above 0.7 or 0.8 grams per cubic meter at Edgina, mm -hmm. and it appears to be better than that. Uh, there will be more results coming out shortly, but uh, both Keith Barron and I agreed the pure cost of processing would be about $5 a cubic meter. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, uh, it, this is really dry mechanical uh, separation or recovery, uh, so I wouldn't think there's much electrical or much, much uh, energy requirements for this, and will they produce a concentrate as Quentin explained it blows the you know the gold the nuggets into one into one bin and the waste rock I guess would be left behind probably put right back into the mine right and uh, do, do, so where does this uh, concentrate go then from there do you think they'll melt it down do a doré on 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 site or, or how do you think they'll handle it 
they probably won't because what you don't want is you don't want humans handling it. They have lock boxes that nobody can touch, and there will be specific identity for each lock box, and there will be weights inside each lock box. So if you ship a box from uh, from Edgina to Perth. All they have to do is weigh the thing when they get perts and they know they have the right box. Uh, Novo will not touch the gold. It will go directly to a smelter. And it won't be a concentrate in terms of what you're used to thinking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It will be nothing but a bunch of nuggets. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, I mean, there shouldn't be, you know, a lot of times the uh, concentrates have nasty elements in there that uh, give you penalties and that sort of thing. There shouldn't be any of that. I guess the whole thing is to keep human hands off of it so that they don't, uh, those nuggets don't get sliding into somebody's pockets, right? So. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a big issue. Every uh, alluvial project that I've ever seen, people are stealing. Yeah, well, that's a, it's very hard to stop that, I would think. No, uh, well, I, I, I guess, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Robert? It's impossible. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, I hope they find a way, though, as a shareholder of Novo. You're saying, you're suggesting that if they can keep human hands off of it and keep the people that are dealing with the company internally honest, then there shouldn't be a problem. But that's maybe asking a lot of human beings. But anyway, oh, uh, actually, actually, no, it's not going to be an issue. And I wish I could show you the machine. It's a big machine. What you really see is this uh, conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. You screen the material. You feed the correct size material on the conveyor belt. It costs next to nothing. It's obscene. It's so cheap. The biggest cost of the machine is the power to to run the compressor mm-hmm. to, to have have the air to blow the nuggets. I mean, it's unbelievable. But the nuggets go into a box. The box is sealed. It's locked. Nobody can touch it. And the box gets shipped, and there's ways of identifying it. So, actually, no one at Novo will ever touch the gold. It only will get opened when it gets to Perth or wherever they're going to ship it to. All right, Robert. Well, if, if you're right about this, and it's the lowest, it turns out to be the lowest cost gold mine or mining operation in the world, then I guess uh, my next question, because I wanted to transition into a little of uh, market. Uh, your views on the markets. The gold price then, we don't need to see $2,000 gold or $1,500 gold even uh, to make this profitable, I guess. It should be very profitable at much lower prices. But nonetheless, I would like to ask you, what do you think, what, are, what is your concept of the, of the gold uh, the gold price? Where do you, I mean, do you have a sense? Are you bullish? Are you neutral, bearish, or what on gold? Yes. Yes. Is that the answer? Yes. I, I'm neutral, I'm bearish, and I'm bullish. I'm, okay. I'm bearish until the middle of December. I, I think we're due a correction. I called for a correction weeks ago. It appears that we're in a correction. People are way too bullish. I would like to see them less bullish. But what the Federal Reserve has done by pumping money into the system uh, is it's eventually going to require much higher goals. The Federal Reserve is suggesting that probably Deutsche Bank is in deep, serious trouble 
and which means the banking system is in deep, serious trouble. And the crash that should have occurred in 2008, it was a lot closer than anybody wants to admit. Don't like that. And I have to ask you, what do you think uh, in terms of the election, uh, 2020 presidential election in the U.S.? Do you think, do you think um, the coup d'etat will be successful before that date? They get rid of Mr. Trump before then, or, uh, or do you think he'll survive? And if he survives, what difference will that make, if any, with respect I, to the various markets? Yeah, we we very definitely are having a coup d'etat. The military is involved, the CIA is involved, the FBI is involved, the DOJ is involved, CIA, I think I said CIA, NSA, it's involved. Uh, It's very scary, and the takeaway from the impeachment hearings is we don't like Trump because he thinks he has a right to run the foreign policy of the United States, and we don't agree with that. And if you think about that for over three or four seconds, isn't that why he was elected in the first place? That's why, one of the reasons. Yeah, that's why I voted yeah. for him. Yeah. Why do we give a shit what some lieutenant colonel thinks about the foreign policy of the United States with Ukraine? Lieutenant colonels are the guys who get the coffee for the three-star generals. I mean, I am absolutely staggered that this circus, this clown show is going on. And the scary thing to me is this is an ongoing coup d'etat. It started before the election. It's going to continue. I don't think there'll be an election in 2020. I highly suspect it's going to get so chaotic that the military is going to step in and say we need to have a temporary uh, military government until we can restore order and hold free elections. Wow, but if you, if, if you understand what happens when the military takes over, it, it, sometimes it takes 10 or 20 years to hold free elections. I, I had sent you some stuff before the show. I wrote a book three years ago about my experience in the military, and I predicted the world's first global revolution. And then I wrote another article in January of this year about the yellow jackets in France. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. said, when, when, when they went on strike in November of last year, exactly a year ago, that was the first blow in the global revolution. It's, it's in Iran. It's in Iraq. It's in Ecuador. It's in Chile. It's in Hong Kong. And it's only going to get worse, and it, it's coming to the United States. Well, that's that's a, a scary thought. And, of course, you live in France. How, how are things looking there? Uh, it's very peaceful where I live. But the Yellow Jackets here issue is exactly what the issue is around the world. The dichotomy, the spread between the rich and the poor has gotten to be too great. Mm-hmm. And the poor are getting very upset. There's been a lot of good writing by Ray Dalio, and he points Mm -hmm. out 40% of Americans couldn't raise $400 in case of an emergency. 
and 17% of kids in the United States live in poverty, and that's never changed. We live in the richest country in the world, in theory, and at 440% of Americans can't raise 400 bucks. We got a problem. Well, so I can understand then if we if we head into some sort of a uh, of the ec- next economic decline like we had in 2008-2009, at this time the Fed may not be able to get a handle on it and stop it in the negative interest rates which won't fix anything. Then you start having these people that have live paycheck to paycheck. They don't have any savings. There's no place to go. You can understand why you're suggesting chaos and uh, in order to restore uh, to restore some sort of order the military steps in and we don't have a, we don't have any more elections for a while that's your suggestion well, that's your scenario let me let me put it this way it should be obvious to now we didn't have an election in 2016 that's correct okay. that's correct that's correct the they are doing whatever they can to to overturn yeah. that election because it doesn't fit the military industrial complexes uh, uh, foreign policy or the yeah. empire's foreign Absolutely. policy and uh, but empires have to keep doing this, Robert, in order to survive. They have to keep expanding, right? And uh, Well, that, that's, that's the danger, but that's like a balloon, okay? If you blow into a balloon, what's going to happen someday? And yeah. the answer is it's going to blow up. But all empires end, and they end when they get involved in military adventurism. We've been in constant war. For the last 20 years, we are still in war in Afghanistan. We've been there for 19 years. And what the hell do those idiots think they're doing? I mean, do they absolutely believe, yeah, we're fighting for 19 years, we're winning? If you walk into a bar and you start a fight and you're still fighting 19 years later, you lost all right. Well, this is uh, we'll have to have we're going to have to end on this sort of gloomy note, Robert. But uh, in the meantime, we do what we can to feed our families, take care of ourselves, protect ourselves, uh, and that's what this show is about. I thank you very much for helping us understand more about Novo. It's certainly one place uh, I think we can look to uh, uh, with some excitement and some positive optimism. Thank you so much for being with us, and I hope we can do it again sometime soon, Bob. Take care. Well. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Jay. Thank you so much for talking to us. Well, that's all the time we have this week, folks. Next week, Frank Holmes and um, Chris Taylor of Great Bear will be my guests. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. TriStar Gold is a gold exploration and development company listed on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol TSG and on the OTCQB under the symbol TSGZF. The large and growing gold resource at Castelo de Sanos Project is located in mining-friendly Pata State, Brazil. A recent $8 million investment from major mining company Royal Gold will advance the CDS project towards a feasibility study in 2020. TriStar Gold enjoys strong institutional shareholder support from groups like Gold 2000, RBC, Sun Valley, and U.S. Global. 